What is up, y'all? Uh, it's exciting to be back up here with you guys. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm a little slow today because I feel like I'm like kind of a part of Indian Springs, a little bit deeper now, right? Lawrence, I'm getting into the deeper cuts every day, right? It's just day after day. I'm finding more and more. I've lost the vol- volleyball tournament. But today for lunch, it's Paul's birthday this week at some point. So today for lunch, um, per Paul's request and our love for him, he wanted to buy us lunch. And because uh, that's how Paul is on his birthday. But he took us to Buckner's. Okay, so I went to Buckner's for lunch today, and I'm not a quitter. So I need you to know that about me, and I am still hurting. Okay, so if you see, you, if I just fall down, your direction for the night is the altar is open. Y'all come pray for me, whatever you need to do. Sam, it's chicken overload if I go down, so just know that, all right? Buckner's took advantage. Uh, it was bad, okay? But it was good. It was awesome. And I'm excited to be up here with you guys. But I think that at, before we jump in tonight, we kind of just recap where we've been, right? It feels like we've been here forever. It feels like we're all family. It'd be like, man, if camp never ended, I don't think any of us would notice that it was any shorter, right? But we're all here. We're together. We've been in it. We're getting in the rhythms. We're doing all the stuff. And we talked about kind of in the first couple days, if you guys remember, we addressed sin and idols and the need for salvation in our lives. You guys remember that? We talked about how we cannot live the life God has set before us if we're still putting things above him, if we're still worshiping things that aren't him, if we're still surrendering to the ways of our flesh, if we're continuing to go back and chase our desires. And then we kind of shifted the gears just a little bit, and we talked about studying the Bible, and this morning Paul talked to us about our God stories, and all of that was equipping you for kind of this next turn of the corner that we're going to make. And tonight's going to be the first part of that, and then we're going to continue to talk the rest of the week of what do we do from here, right? The send. So over the next few sessions, we're going to send you out. We are going to commission you as disciples for those of you that have made a decision for Christ. But I want you to understand something, okay? As we spend the next couple days together, there's something that's really important to remember. If the gospel has not became everything in your life, you're not ready to preach it. If the gospel hasn't transformed your life, I need you to understand something. You're not ready to go with it. But at any point over the next couple days, I don't want you guys to check out and be like, well, that's not for me. That's for the guy that's a little further along or whatever it may be. But no, it's for you as well, okay? So today we're going to talk about the fact that there is something greater for us. There is something greater for us as we go home. There's something greater for us as we look at the next few years of our lives, as we look at the next few days, as we look at the next few moments, as we look at what God may be calling us to. There's something greater. There's something greater. I love in John 3, 30, it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. For those of you in here that that came into Indian Springs Not sure what was going to be of it, but you feel like God has met you here. You've surrendered sin. You've had these moments of of, of full confession and worship and all of this, and you're wondering, how do I take this home? How do I not let this just be something that happened for 10 days or a habit that I have now? But how do I allow this to become my whole entire lifestyle? How do I take what's happened here and take it home? There's your verse right there. How do I do it? How do I do it? He must increase, and I must decrease. I think the problem is when we get in a setting like this, when we come to camp and we're completely in it, right, and we're turning our phones in and we're doing all the stuff and we've got worship in the morning and a session and small groups and then evenings 
session and worship and then bedtime stories and then devotional. It's really easy for us to be super aware of, of Christ in our lives. It's really easy for him to be the most increased thing in our lives because that is what is consuming us. But the issue is we're going to go home. We're going to go home. You guys know that, right? We're going to go home on Sunday night or Monday or whenever you leave. I don't know how this works. And you're going to be faced with the, the stark reality that if you want that much Jesus in your life, you're going to have to go get it. You're going to have to live it out. You're going to have to pursue more of him. And then we wonder, we find ourselves on Tuesday, man, why has God left me? Why am I not? Why does worship not feel the same? And why can I not read the Bible when Paul's not there? And why can I not do all of these things? And it's because we've slipped back into a lifestyle of me. And he's no longer at the top. And we've allowed our schedules and the things we have to do to overconsume our time. And we've lost sight of him. But there's greater for you available. You just have to be willing to continue to surrender to it. And it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And I know you're like, man, this is like your ninth time in front of us and you're saying the same things because some of us in here still don't get it. Jesus is the only way this works. Jesus is the only way people come to know God. Jesus is the only way we make disciples. Jesus is the only way we can be Christians. And so guess what? We're going to keep preaching Jesus. But I think first, before we get into that, we need to understand completely what Jesus has called us to and what he has offered us, right? First, I think before we go home, we need to understand something. There is a greater trust available. And I know coming into this, some of us have trust issues and some of us have been hurting, have been hurt and some of us have had people that we trusted in and we promised us stuff and we said, Jesus, I trust you, right, this week. But we're going to go home and we're going to find out what we really trust if Jesus is still at the center of that. But you need to understand that there's a greater trust found in the person of Jesus Christ. John 15, verse 4 and 5 says this. Remain in me and I in you. And just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Circle under eye and highlight right here. I am the vine. You are the branches. And the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. We can trust the fact that Jesus' words there are true. That if we remain in him, that he's going to remain in us. Right? That if we continue to chase after him, if we continue to go to his word, if we continue to worship, if we continue to spend time in prayer, if we continue to go to him, he will remain in us if we remain in him. But so often we get home and we get in these situations and we find ourselves wondering what happened. And we think, man, where did Jesus go? Did Jesus move? And we come back to his word and we see, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. That's a promise that we can trust. We can have greater trust in the fact that we have an opportunity to remain in Christ. Nothing has to change when you go home. Do you realize that? Gideon, do you get that? Nothing has to change when you go home. 
Nothing has to change. Your life can be the exact same way it is at camp. Nothing has to change. The, the things that you've surrendered, the way that you've entered into worship, the way that you have completely given yourself to Christ and his word and continue to surrender and trust in that with faith, none of that has to change when you walk back into your locker room. None of that has to change when you get back to your school. None of that has to change when you show back up at home. Why? Because Jesus says that if you just remain in him, he'll remain in you, and he'll be the one that does the work. Do you see that? Do you see that? He says, I am the vine. I am the one who produces the fruit. You just get to bear it. Keep remaining in me. But guys, I think the reason we struggle so much to remain in Christ is because we have a bad perspective of the gospel. We have a perspective of the gospel that has been kind of twisted and shaped and molded by different parts of our culture, but we have a, view, we have a false view of what the gospel really is. Okay, Corbin, you got that graphic, bro? Can you guys see it? The gospel ladder. Summer in the sun. Sick. If not, it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. I got it. All right, so this is our view of the gospel, okay? So on the first rung, right here at the bottom, hey, first rung right here at the bottom, sweet, you guys can see it, it says what? What's it say at the very bottom? What I do. What I do. The second rung says what? Who I am. The third rung, Lord, I'm sorry for eating Buckners. Ooh, the third rung says what? What God does. Lord, I trust you. Here's a greater trust available. I'm just going to do this, okay? The fourth rung says what? Who God is. You see, the issue, guys, is we have taken and we've lived the gospel trying to climb the ladder. But God says, no, it's because of who I, it's because of who I am. It's because of who God is, that he is love, that he is just, that he is merciful, that he is righteous, that he is holy. That he does love you because he is love. All of those things. That's who God is. We've learned about that this week, right? We know who God is. Now, because of who God is, that tells me what God does. Because God is love, because God is merciful, because God is just, because God is righteous, he sent his son to save me. He adopts me. He redeems me. He sets me apart. He calls me holy and blameless. That's what God does. And it's because of who he is. And now, because of who God is, and that influencing what God does, now that tells me who I am. Because God is love, because God is just, because God is merciful, Jesus did die. Jesus did provide a pathway to salvation. I can be saved. I can be loved. I can be adopted. I can be redeemed. And now that tells me who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm holy and blameless. You guys remember Ephesians 1, right? I'm adopted. I'm redeemed. I'm an heir. And now that informs what I do. That it's because of who God is that informs what God does. And it's because of what God does that tells me who I am. And it's because of who I am that tells me what I do. That's why I read my Bible. That's why I serve. 
That's why I worship. That's why I pray. That's why I give. That's why I don't sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. That's why I don't watch the things I'm not supposed to watch. That's why I don't consume the things I'm not supposed to consume. That's why I don't say the things I'm not supposed to say. That's why I live a holy life. It's because of who God is. But the issue is, what we've done is we've taken the gospel and we've ran it from bottom to top. And we've said, well, if I don't drink, don't smoke, go to church every Wednesday, make sure I sign up for Indian Springs, read my Bible, pray enough, and show up at small groups, then I must be a Christian. And if I'm, you know what, I'm, man, you know, I, I came to camp and, and God did something in my life and I prayed to re- receive that free gift of salvation through faith. And I got home and I struggled and I failed. And what the enemy does is he convinces you, right, because of your failures, because of your shortcomings, you can never get to God. But God wants us to know he's coming to us. And so what we've done is we've created a system of it's because of what I do. If I can check the boxes, read the Bible, pray enough, then that must mean I'm a Christian. And if I'm a Christian, if I've done the right things, if I'm a good person, then that must mean that God saved me. And if God saved me, if God actually sent his son, if God actually redeemed me, if God really adopted me, if he really loved me, then that must mean that God is love. That must mean that God is just. That must mean that God is merciful. And what we have done is we have created a form of we get to shape God into our image. And what we do when we go home is we start to think that everything we do starts to shape who God is. I need you to hear something and understand this. When you leave here, God will not change. God is love. God is merciful. God is just. God is rich in mercy. He's all of those things. And it doesn't matter what you do. He's still God and you're not. And so when you surrender to the true gospel and say, you know what, it's because of who God is, that's, that's, that's what God does. And because of what God does, that tells me who I am. And because of who I am, now that's why I read my Bible. That's why I do all of those things. And what we do is we take the pressure off of ourselves. And we stop trying to earn everything and like just grip harder and work and do all the things. Remember we did that the other night. But understand something, that if God is who God is, which I believe he is, and God did what he really did, and you surrendered what you really surrendered, and he told you who you really are, the bottom rung still happens, but it's an overflow of him through you, rather than you trying to climb your way to him. Do you see that? So now when we go home, it's not, oh, man, I just got 15 minutes. I just got to crank it out. No. Man, you know what? I got 15 minutes. I'm going to spend time with my father. I'm going to remain in him. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to trust who he is because that's the true gospel. It's one that because of who God is, now our hearts respond to that. And we stop trying to think that if I can just do enough, then someday maybe God will actually be good. Because that's where a lot of us are stuck. Adults in the room, you too. We're stuck in that place of, man, when I'm not doing enough, when I'm not checking the boxes, God must not be good, right? How many times in your life when you've faced hardship have you gone back and been like, well, man, did I, I must not be praying, right? That's not who God is. 
God is who he is, and that does not change. Guys, we're not that important. We're not. But if you'll surrender to the process of saying, you know what, I'm going to trust who you are. I'm going to hang on to the fact that if I remain in you, you'll remain in me. And if I remain in you and you remain in me, then I will be doing what you've called me to do. And there's freedom in that. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You want to know what he's calling you to? You want to know what your purpose is? Know him. Remain in him. And watch how he just uses you in the everyday spaces and places that you exist. And there's a greater trust in that. And it's not built on, man, if I can just do enough and make the right decisions. If I choose the right college and the right boyfriend and the right girlfriend and I go to the right church and do all the right things, then I'll be a really good Christian and I'll know what God's calling me to. And then I will be so confident in what he's called and I'll be such a good Christian. Guys, there's no such thing as a good Christian. There's just Christians and not Christians. Okay? Stop trying to be a good Christian and just be a Christian. But we've gotten stuck in this concept of performance-based acceptance. And if I can do everything right, then my obedience equals his obligation. And I'll just keep checking the boxes. And he says, I died more for more than just a checked box. Because here's the thing. He wants to do it with you. He wants to be with you. He, I, I love Paul. You ask Paul what his favorite thing about Jesus is. I can already tell you what his answer is going to be. His withness. The fact that he is with us. That no matter where we are, what we're doing, Jesus is there with us. And we need to stop putting so much pressure on ourselves and operate in the freedom and in the greater trust that, you know what, if I'll just do my part, if I'll just remain in him, if I'll continue to go to him in prayer, if I'll continue to confess sin, if I'll continue to forgive, ooh, man, you know why it's so hard for us to trust that God is who he is? You know why? Because our perspective of forgiveness and unforgiveness is built off how we've done it. And we think that, man, if, I, if those people have done that to me and I'm that mad at them, then how could God ever forgive me because I know who I am? And we're living in these patterns of unforgiveness and we begin to associate that sin in our life to the character of God. When God's saying, no, I have forgiven you. I have redeemed you. Will you forgive them? Will you forgive them? Remember, we talked about this, guys. If we're going to remain in Christ, it's going to take a full surrender it's going to take living in forgiveness. It's going to take those difficult conversations Olivia shared with you guys this morning. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiving people who have hurt you and wronged you is difficult. And look at me. Look at me. That pain wasn't Jesus' idea. He loves you. He cares about you. And I know there can be those moments of where were you in that. Sin wasn't Jesus' idea. It wasn't. And I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I promise you that his grace is sufficient, that he is one who redeems brokenness. And he sees you and he loves you. And you, if you will just release that person, if you will say, you know what, Lord, I forgive them. Not saying what they did is okay. Remember, we went over that. But saying, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to abide in you and your word. I'm going to remain in you and your word. And I'm going to live in a lifestyle of forgiveness. That's how we find that greater trust. That's how we remain in him. At the end of verse 5, he says, you can do nothing 
without me. You can do nothing without me. Some of you guys, you've come to this camp year after year after year after year. I've had the conversations with you. How many times have you tried to go home and do it on your own? Some people sitting around right now, they're struggling your life. And you're trying to do it on your own. And Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. Will you welcome him into that broken place? Will you welcome him into that hurt place? Will you welcome him in to that sin and say, Lord, will you redeem this place in my life? Because I can't do it without you. Lord, I want to surrender to you. I want to remain in you. Next, how do we continue to go home and make sure he increases and we decrease? Second, there's a greater obedience. There's a greater obedience. Jesus simply says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. There's a greater obedience, right? And I know that word is like so like, oh, man, i got to follow all the rules. No, you get to. You get to have a standard of life that can never be changed. You get to have a truth that you can build your life on that can never be taken away or shifted around. You get to do those things. It's not a have to. It's not a duty and discipline. It's a delight and a desire. I get to obey Christ. I remember my wife, Hope, and I, uh, we got married and so we were, like, sorting out the, like, roles of who's going to do what to make sure our house, like, runs at an optimum level, okay? She's type A. She loves systems and charts and different colors and calendars, and I have no idea what I'm doing ever. So she sits me down, and she's like, this is what it's going to look like. She's like, based off just schedules, and honestly, you're a better cook, babe. I think you should be the cook in our house. And I was like, you know what? Like, I get home at, like, 4 every day. I've got time. She doesn't get home till like, 6. That's awesome. I can have dinner ready. I'm going to serve her in that way. It's going to be great. And so what I realized is in my bachelor days, I could cook one thing just a bunch of different ways. So, like, chicken and rice, I just made that, and then I would just buy different sauces. And that would make it, like, Mexican chicken and rice, Italian chicken and rice. Whatever sauce I put on that food, that was what we were having. So it, didn't, it was actually the same meal every time, just a different sauce. And that was fine with me, Right. And then I'd supplement it in with some McDonald's, and uh, that was just kind of what we did. But I remember one day it was the Masters. You guys all know the Masters, right? I'm, I'm assuming, right? We're in Georgia, Augusta. So I live in Michigan now, but I love golf. Golf is like one of my favorite sports. I love the culture. All this stuff, the Masters is coming on. It's Saturday, and I'm like, you know what? Hope's from Michigan. She's never had like just a good southern breakfast, like, she's never just had, like, a full-on, like, I was going hard this day, y'all. I was going to make this awesome southern breakfast. Then we were going to have pimento cheese sandwiches for lunch. And then I was going to make, fry, like, full-on, we're doing the most southern thing you've ever experienced today. And she just gets to be a part of it. And honestly, I thought it was for her, but it was all about me. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just kidding, mostly. So, but I'm like, you know what? First step, she needs to eat some homemade biscuits and gravy. But those biscuits aren't coming out of a can. I am going to make my wife because I love her, because she is my bride, because she is all this stuff, right? Because of what Ephesians, all this. I'm making her homemade biscuits. So we went on our honeymoon to Asheville, North Carolina. And when we were in Asheville, there was this little restaurant called Biscuit Head. I don't know if you've ever been to Biscuit Head, but their biscuits are insane. So I bought a cookbook while I was there because I forgot Google existed when I was standing at the cash register. So I bought this big old cookbook, and we've got it right there in our living room, or <laughs> living room, just some light reading. Uh, no, we've got it sitting in our kitchen, right? 
And I remember I got in there that morning. I woke up at like five because I got to go to the store. I got to get all this stuff. And I want breakfast to be ready when she gets out of bed because I love my wife. And if you're a man and you love your wife, you do things that you're not comfortable doing all the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up. And I get the cookbook open. I'm reading this whole thing, drinking my coffee. And I'm like, okay, making my list on my phone. And there's a point where I was like, there is no way you actually need that many different kinds of flour to make a biscuit. Like, I, just, I feel like they're getting a little overzealous here. So I went to Meyer that morning. That's, our, that's like our grocery store, Walmart, whatever, Piggly Wiggly. But I go to the store that day, and I'm going through the aisles, and I'm getting all the stuff, butter and flour. And you got to buy this certain type of flour if you want it to be. And I'm, so I'm looking for this flour. And finally, I was like, you know what? That's enough flour. I couldn't find this one specific kind. I was like, I've got two out of the three. I should be fine. So I put it in there. I get all the stuff. I get home, and I'm making the biscuits. And so I'm, like, doing the biscuits, and I'm... I read the cookbook, but, like, I didn't, like, read the cookbook. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, I'm more of a picture guy. So I'm just looking at the pictures just trying to make sure I'm producing what it looks like in the picture. So I'm doing all this stuff, but there was this one part of the recipe as I'm mixing and everything, and it said you had to snap in the butter. So you don't pour in, like, melted butter. You want to put in, like, solid-ish butter because then when it cooks, it melts, and the fat does all the things. And I was like, that feels important. So I YouTubed how to snap butter. So I'm cutting this butter up, and I'm, I'm in the, the kitchen. Why do I keep saying living room? I don't cook in my living room, all right? It's contrary to popular belief. I eat in a kitchen, all right? And you're like, hey, you eat everywhere, buddy. Uh, so, but I'm, I'm doing this butter, and I've got it between my fingers, and I'm literally like, this is what it looked like on YouTube. So I'm like snapping it in, right? I'm getting the curls in it, getting it all folded in. And I remember I make these biscuits, and I get them on the tray, and I put them in the oven, set it all up. And then I'm like, okay, fried eggs, bacon, gravy. That's easy. I've been in enough duck blinds. I can do all that stuff with my eyes closed. So I crank out these fried eggs, make my sausage gravy, make some bacon, all this. And I'm just constantly going back like, all right, all right, checking on these biscuits. And they're not doing what it's supposed to do. So I'm like turning up, just, just trying all this. I'm like full Bill Nye the Science Guy, like just trying all these different things. And finally, I hear from the living room, hey, babe. Yeah, honey. Are you making breakfast? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, it's 11. So, y'all, it's been five hours since I started cooking, and I still haven't finished this. So my kitchen was a mess. So I'm like, I got to turn I got to get the biscuits out. And I'm like, okay. They looked like the Cathead Biscuit from Biscuithead. Y'all, apparently you know what I'm talking about, right? So I get these biscuits out, and I'm like, I got to try one before she ever gets one. And I (laughs) took a bite of this biscuit, and there was just flour all in my mouth. It's just the most disgusting thing I have ever eaten in my whole entire life. So I bet you're wondering, what'd you do? I covered them in gravy and served them to her anyways. So, <laughs> so I made her a plate, took her eggs, all that stuff in there, and Hope's sitting there, and she gets her breakfast. She cuts up. She's like, eats her bacon, all that stuff, and then she gets to the biscuits and gravy, and I'm like, She's like, why aren't you eating? I just want you to try it. I just want to see what you think. So why aren't you eating the biscuits? I just I want to see if you like biscuits. Let's see what you like. Let's do it. So she like gets this big old bite of sausage gravy, and I'm like, oh thank God she got enough gravy on there. And she get this, takes a bite of this biscuit. And I'll never forget, she's sitting there and she goes, Yeah. And I'm like, yeah? And she goes, Not what you thought it would be, huh? I said, No. She goes, Well, honey, you tried. But here's the thing, guys. I put five hours 
I worked so hard. I mean, I was sweating. It was full on like Gordon Ramsay level trying to make this southern breakfast for my wife. And she looked at me and she said, well, you tried. When I look back at what mistakes did I make, I didn't try. Because at the very beginning, when I looked at the cookbook and I read the ingredients, I said, you know what? I think I have a better way. I know this says that I need to use all those flowers, but you know what? I think I know better. How often is that how we obey Christ? That he set forth for us a plan. And he said, you know what? You need to live this way. You need to make sure you're doing these things. You need to make sure you're aligning yourself with these teachings. And we look at that and we say, all right, I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. Forgiveness. I got another way. And we're like, you know what? I'll read my Bible. I'll spend time in prayer. Boyfriend and girlfriend, I've got a better way. And we're wondering why our lives aren't completely aligning with the person of Jesus Christ. We're wondering why we're finding so much struggle and remaining in him when we leave these places. And it's because we're not fully obeying the fullness of what he's called us to. Because there's still areas in each and every one of our lives. Please see that. Please hear that. Talking to myself too. All of us have a tension in our life of I know better. For some of you, it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend. For the adults, maybe it's your finances, your children. (laughs) How many of us know better about our children? For some of you, it's your job, it's your sport, it's your identity. It's the things you look at on your phone. I know that's what you said, but I know a better way. I'd venture to say that if we were to be 100% on in this place and line up, All of us have a tension in our life of will I completely align with Christ and his teachings or will I continue to know a better way in my own life? And he's calling us to something greater. He's calling us to a greater obedience that says, you know what, I don't know better. I've tried my way and I'm still stuck. Lord, will you be enough for me? I want to be marked as someone who's your disciple. And I know that your word says that if I want to be your disciple, I'm going to keep all your commands to the best of my ability. And that doesn't mean you're not going to fail. That doesn't mean you're not going to mess it up. Reminds me of the movie. You guys see the movie Remember the Titans? Who's seen Remember the Titans? You guys remember the scene. They're, they're in there, and he's giving the speech to the team. And he looks at this group of young men, black and white. There's this tension that's created and the racism involved in their time. And he begins to give them a speech about the expectations for what it's going to look like to be a part of this team. And he begins the Denzel speech. You drop a pass, you run a mile. You miss a block in assignment, you run a mile. And if you fumble my football, I will break my foot off. I'm going to stop there, Matt. And then you will run a mile. And then he says, perfection is all I ask. Let's go to work. God's word teaches us. Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. The aim is perfection, but there's work to be done. He says, be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean you need to settle for left land in your lifestyle. Our goal, our aim, what we're striving for is to love and live like the person of Jesus, to be perfect like he is perfect. And you're going to mess it up. You're going to make mistakes. But it's knowing I am going to chase after that standard with everything I have. Because if I do, if I do, Everything will change. But so many of us have settled into less than. 
we've decided that hard is too hard and we're just not going to do it. And we've checked out of this, this idea that there could be something greater for our life because we're just quitting. I've talked to the Coach Boone. I, I have. He spoke at my university when I was in college. The real Coach Boone. And I was asking him, man, like, all this stuff that you see, and he's like, man, what a role to have Denzel play, right? He's like, my wife's never looked at me the same, but he's doing all this stuff. And I'm talking to him, and I said, hey, there's a part in that. I'm curious. Is that true? And he said, yep. I gave that speech to my boys. And we're standing there. It's like, our, like half of our college football team at this point. And we're like, dude, how could you? Like, I, I play football. I know that they're going to mess up. And he goes, because if they always knew that perfection was the goal, they'd never get stuck on the last play. Because when they knew, made a mistake, they knew, I've always got the next play to continue chasing after what I'm called to. And so they shaped in these young men this desire, right, not to perform, not that, no, but to live to a standard. Jesus isn't calling us to a lifestyle of performance. He's saying, I have given you the best possible life. Quit lowering yourself to something less than. Because of who I am, this is who you can be. Stop trying to do it the other way around. Because so many of us know who we are. We know the reality of our life, and we're like, I can never, get to the, I can never live to the standard of Jesus. And he's saying, let me live it through you. Let me remain in you. Let me be the one. Last part, i got to hustle. Here we go. So there's a greater trust. There's a greater obedience. Number three, there's a greater satisfaction. That you say, man, if he increases and I decrease, there's a greater satisfaction. We find in the Gospels there's a teaching. Jesus and his disciples, they're sitting on a mountainside, and they're standing there, and this thousands of people come up. And they arrive, and these people are hungry. They've come to hear Jesus' teaching. And Jesus asks the disciples, how are we going to feed these people? And the disciples are like, what do you mean, how are we going to feed these people? It would take so many days' wages. This little boy has a Lunchable. He's got fish and loaves. Jesus okay, bring it to me. Jesus begins to break apart this meal, and they begin to pass it out. And understand something. These disciples were working. All right, You guys have done KP, and you've done Slopperine, right? Imagine doing that for probably 10,000, 15,000 people. Passing out the food, doing all the stuff, collecting everything at the end. And at the end, Jesus sends his disciples and they go across and he goes up the mountain. And then later that night, Jesus meets the disciples. He's going to go see him. He walks on the water. No big deal. Go read that story on your own. But then he gets to the boat and they get to the other side. And this group of people, they show back up. And Jesus says to him in John chapter 6, he sees these people and he says, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So many of us want to consume Jesus, but we don't want to live the lifestyle that he's called us to. Just like these people he's saying, you're not here because you saw the signs and the power of what, what I can do and what I can offer for your life. You just want to consume what I have to give you. And so many of us, we come to camp and we kind of, we begin to start to see the power of Christ and, and what he can call us to and the power of worship and prayer and Bible study and all this stuff. But we don't actually want to align our lifestyles with it when we go home. And Jesus continues and he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Keep going. Verse 35. Circle, underline, highlight. John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one comes to me. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. If you want to experience that greater satisfaction, guys, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just found in the things that he's done. It's in the deep moments. It's in the study. It's in the struggle. It's in the difficulty. I've opened up to you guys a little bit this week, right? I'm in that tension with you. I'm in that struggle with you. My wife, we are in that with you. And we are working hard to continue to raise our gaze, to fix our eyes back to Jesus, and to remember that in these moments when we're seeking satisfaction elsewhere, he's the only one that can really give us what our heart desires. And maybe, sure, we can find temporary satisfaction and temporary peace and and temporary somewhere else. But the eternal is found in Jesus. So as you leave here, guys, understand there's going to be that temptation to find it somewhere else. To say, you know what? Reading my Bible's not working anymore. The relationship isn't working anymore. The girl I fell in love with at camp dumped me. Jesus is enough for everything you need. He is your satisfaction in your time of lack. But at the end of the day, we talked about this at the beginning, he must increase and you must decrease. Decrease. 